Hello, and welcome to another episode of Chatter, a podcast from The Gist, with me, Josh Hamilton. Brian Frydenborg, the journalist and author, was my guest on today's show. He's the author of a new book, A Song of Gas and Politics, How Ukraine is at the Centre of Trump-Russia. Ukraine Gate is the scandal being pushed by the Trump campaign as an attempt to discredit Joe Biden. Our conversation was a fantastic, in-depth look at the scandal and how it fits into the wider Trump-Russia ties and the East-West struggle that is quietly bubbling under the surface. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. So, here's Brian. Brian, it is an absolute pleasure. Uh, Thanks for appearing on my show. Thanks for inviting me. So... Let's just go straight for it. I mean, like one of the books you re- you wrote um, recently that's available now uh, was based around uh, Ukraine Gate, and maybe for a lot of my listeners are based in the UK. Do you want to just give us an idea of what what the fuck is Ukraine Gate? <laughs> well, it's funny because uh, that term it's not like any one person coined it per se, and especially since the nineties, at least. Uh, I can't speak as much to the 80s, but since the 90s, any kind of big scandal because of how big Watergate was and because of how a lot of journalists tried getting a bit cuter and more trendy, especially when the internet really picked up with um, throwing out phrases to try and make them stick. If there's a big political scandal in the United States, you basically add gate to it. And sometimes you'll make fun of a scandal for being overblown by facetiously doing that. So I, I talked about Hairgate with Nancy Pelosi, and lo and behold, there was actually an earlier situation where Bill Clinton got like a haircut and ended up holding up an airport or something by accident, and that was a Hairgate. So, uh, you know, it's it's basically the fact that there was a huge scandal involving Ukraine, and it was a very complex series of events. And the easiest way to just kind of convey what you're talking about and instead of the matter with Ukraine or blah, 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 Ukraine gate is a nice little catch all to describe everything that was going on with Trump and Ukraine. And the interesting thing about that and what I talked about in my book is how essentially the media really dropped the ball on that because they framed Ukraine gate as if, aha, Trump, Russia didn't get Trump, but maybe you, Ukraine Ukraine gate will. And the fact of the matter is, is that Ukraine and Ukraine gate, wherever you want to call it, the issue with his phone call and all of the events surrounding that and the political pressure and interference in Ukrainian affairs from both uh, the the Trump administration and people tied to Putin working on the ground with Trump's uh, agents in Ukraine um, is that it was a chapter a big chapter of a huge chapter of the Trump-Russia saga. So you can't separate all the stuff that went on in Ukraine in any way from the larger Trump-Russia pictures. So it's kind of like a Venn diagram, and there's a tremendous amount of overlap. And if anything, uh, Ukraine Gate is a circle within the Trump-Russia circle. So um, And that really blew up with the whole situation with President uh, Zelensky and Trump and that phone call. And prior to that, do you want to do you want to back do... up there and just and just sure. sort of lay out what 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 the exact details of what happened were, just for for people who have forgotten or aren't familiar with the with it. Sure. Well, uh, before even the so right now we have a, a president in Ukraine, uh, and this is very fascinating for people who uh, have followed this. He started off as a comedian on a Ukrainian comedy show. 
where the premise was he was a history teacher that was sick of the way that business was being done in Ukraine, and he thought he could do a better job. And his he went on a viral video cursing out all the Ukrainian establishment, and his students raised money and got him on the ballot, and he wins the election. And he calls his party the Ser- Servants of the People Party. And the show is... Uh, and, and that's in real life, based on his television show, Servant of the People. And he won, He ran in real life and won. Uh, and before, so before that even happened, though... <laughs> that's yeah, so that's wild. I true. didn't know that. It's all true. <laughs> yep. It's, it's very true. And before that, you had Petro Poroshenko, who took over after Yanukovych was ousted in the 2014 Maidan kind of revolution that uh, led to the Crimea annexation and the war separatist war, the Russian-initiated stuff in eastern Ukraine. And Poroshenko won the election that that chose the replacement for Putin's stooge, essentially, Viktor Yanukovych. And that went all the way back to issues going to the to the Orange Revolution, okay, um, which was uh, one of the color revolutions that Putin despised. So I know I'm going way far back here. But anyway. That's all right. The, the Trump had Giuliani and some other people trying to lobby the uh, Poroshenko administration to turn up quote unquote dirt. And this is where things get really absurd on, on Joe Biden because Biden had been involved uh, earlier in the Poroshenko administration where there was this, he wasn't the worst of the worst, this guy, Victor Shokin, he was a prosecutor. Uh, He was the prosecutor general, basically the attorney general of Ukraine. And that office had long had a, a reputation of being corrupt, inert, um, really dragging its feet. And essentially, it did not go after people from the previous administration who had looted Ukraine. Yanukovych, Putin's close buddy, and a bunch of his uh, allies. And Biden came, and, and there was this big push in Ukraine to improve the country's anti-corruption efforts, which were pretty awful. And that was Zelensky's entire campaign, by the way, uh, when he ended up winning. And it's not so much that Poroshenko either was awful. It's just that there's so much entrenched corruption in Ukraine. It's tough for anybody to really get a handle on it. And especially when it's a sensitive situation that involves kind of the East-West ties in the middle of an ongoing civil war, you want to be a bit careful with how you approach this. Even if you're right in going after someone, if it's going to inflame tensions and maybe lead to increased violence, you're going to take a careful look at that. So Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani, acting as the president's personal lawyer, uh, got some other figures involved, and all the details are, are in my ebook and plenty of other reporting as well. But they were essentially uh, trying to pressure um, uh, the Poroshenko administration to provide an alternate narrative to what actually happened with this guy, Viktor Shokin. So Biden, going back earlier, Biden is there uh, trying to push for anti-corruption efforts along with the EU, along with a number of Western allies. And he looked at this guy in the prosecutor general's office and he was like, this guy's got to go or we can't guarantee you any kind of an IMF kind of international bailout situation uh, package of, of aid and assistance because we really need to see that there's improvement. We need to see things are getting better. And because of that pressure, and Biden was the point guy for Obama on this, and he really took the lead as well for the entire EU, Western allies, international uh, 
financial organization effort. And not long after Biden really, really pushed on this, Shokin was ousted and, and replaced. And the key thing here, and this is where this gets into impeachment, and even now, this is what you're going to hear a lot during the, the election. Joe Biden's son, uh, kind of the black sheep of the family, he's had some personal issues. He's not the, the same kind of caliber fellow as Bo Biden, Joe Biden's son that people have heard a lot about, who served in Iraq uh, and died of brain cancer a few years back. Uh, Hunter Biden is not a horrible like evil person running around with all kinds of corruption and scandals throughout his life that involved public funds or public trust. He's had some personal scandals with substance abuse and other some other stuff that doesn't look so great with him, uh, you know, ending up being with Bo's wife after uh, Bo died. But again, these are really personal scandals. This is not him in any position of public trust. He took a job on the board of Burisma. And obviously that doesn't look good. And what I'll say about that is if you find pretty much any major politician's kid, they're doing something that they got in part, at least, even if they're also talented because of their name and connection. And that does not imply immediately that there's any wrongdoing or corruption, because, again, people all over the world, if they have a big name attached to them, they're going to you know, be be offered more opportunity. The question that we always have to ask in these situations is, is this person doing something immoral or unethical in terms of bending the rules or approaching a family member in power and getting preferential treatment that goes around the law, that goes around the standard procedure or process to get political favors, financial favors, when someone is in some position of public trust and are they abusing public office or something like that to that extent? And in the case of Hunter Biden, this is what's so telling about who Joe Biden is. Biden loves his kids, okay? Uh, it seems pretty obvious from the type of guy he is, the relationships that he has with people. He's a very emotional guy. He went through a situation where his wife and daughter initially were killed in the car accident, and this is when he was much younger, and that's before his other son, Bo, died, okay? Um, the Burisma situation was not being looked into. There were legitimate issues of corruption with Burisma, as there are with just about every major Ukrainian company that has any ties to the state and many that do not, okay? And Hunter Biden came in on the board after the period in question in which people were saying this stuff should be investigated. And so when, on, Biden, so by the t- when, when the... the- so when the main events were taking place, Hunter Biden wasn't actually working for no, the company and he no. wasn't on the board. No, not at all. This, you, he came in after after uh, there was there were already investigations that were quote unquote underway, except the whole issue is that Victor Shokin and the prosecutor general's office were just sitting on them and they weren't doing anything. Okay. They just weren't pursuing them. Uh, do we know so, was there any was there anyone who discussed why he was approached to to join the board? To be honest, there is with all of the scandals that have gone on related to this, or faux scandals, or real scandals, uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of detail. But I mean, the way I read it, as I was mentioning earlier, and I'm, I'm not, I did intern for Joe Biden back in 2006. I don't think that makes me a biased person here because I, let's say, for example, I disagreed very strongly with Joe Biden's idea to partition Iraq into three countries. I disagreed with him being against the surge in Afghanistan. I've, you know, I love Joe Biden, but I also, when I don't agree with him or I think he does something wrong or should have done something different, I'm, I'm not shy to say that. Um, so in this case, um, with, with 
Hunter Biden taking the board, you can find all kinds of, it's just the way the world works. If you're the son of somebody famous, you're going to have certain doors open to you. And especially if you haven't made your own way, you're usually going to take some of these opportunities. I mean, Chris Cuomo is a great reporter for CNN. Uh, if his father wasn't Mario Cuomo and his brother wasn't Andrew Cuomo, would he have had that opportunity? There's a fine CNN reporter, Jackie Kucinich, whose father is Dennis Kucinich, uh, mayor, I think it was of Chicago. He ran for the presidency for the Democratic Party at least once, I think twice. Uh, Rand Paul's a senator. Um, his father, Ron Paul, was really big in politics. George W. Bush ran for governor of Texas, but boy, that Bush name sure got, I mean, so this is just the way things work. So yeah. I mean, so go like, back so to how, yeah, no, I'm so. just, I'm just curious as it's just, uh, to me, it just, it seems like interesting that, that this company would approach someone who was the son of the person who, like you said, was the, the point guy or the, the go-to to man, like leading the charge against corruption. I, I'm just, yeah, just, uh, I'm curious as to whether that made any, any influence in, in them picking him out. Cause like, I, I do get what you mean that the, there's obviously just with the way that, that these circles of people work and um just the, the kind of, Sure. Revolving door between sort of international, uh, multinational firms that sort of just have business in all parts of the world that you just wouldn't even consider them to be a part of. And, and there's overlaps in, in people, you know, meet at, at dinners and whatnot and go, oh, you know, you'd be great on this board and, you know, we need someone from this. Or I'm just curious as to like, it, uh, yeah, perhaps it's something I need to look into myself as to why they sure. picked yeah. him. Um, but yeah, yeah, so there's not there's not a lot of Hunter Biden has given a few interviews on this, but I I don't know exactly the the rules of the uh, that govern his tenures when he was on on the board and how much he's allowed to discuss. Um, but there's a there's zero evidence that Hunter Biden committed any wrongdoing whatsoever when he was on the board. Anything you hear otherwise is pure speculation until evidence is produced. Um, there has been no evidence that he did anything wrong. And in fact, as I wrote, and I'm one of the only people to point out in this context, when he joined the board during that period of time, uh, Burisma settled with the Ukrainian government and paid millions of dollars in fines over issues surrounding back taxes and, and the outstanding cases that had not been resolved. And they basically got a clean bill of health after paying millions of dollars in fines. And this is under the watch of Hunter Biden as uh, the board Burisma is, is overseeing all this kind of stuff. And um, on top of that, because they got a clean bill of health, they formed a partnership with the Atlantic Council, which is kind of a brain trust of, the, of NATO, uh, on anti-corruption measures. So you had A, Coming clean to some degree, at least, because how many millions of dollars in fines did they pay before under Victor Shokin, before Hunter Biden was on the board? Zero. Yeah. There was zero accountability. Then there was some accountability saying, ah, you know what? We kind of messed this up here. Let's pay. Let's pay some fines and, and let's let's move past this. And let's join with the reputable, very high profile Western think tank that focuses in part on anti-corruption measures. Both of those happened under Hunter, uh, Hunter Biden's watch, mm. and nothing as far as any further developments on anything corrupt or anything in, ter in terms of legal trouble going in a bad direction happened on his watch. Okay? I ju so yeah, I've just, I just looked here. Um, so he, the same month that, that um, Hunter Biden was appointed to the board, 
um, the a U, the serious fraud office of the UK launched a money laundering yep. investigation into them, and then um, there was. Um, and, but that was said, still for the previous time. That was not for the month when Hunter. Yeah, yeah, joined yeah, it yeah, yeah. The, I mean, it would be, be yeah. seriously impressive to get appointed to the board and then manage to cause like insane amounts of corruption that require an investigation within a month. Like that would be. <laughs> so if anything, they were probably trying to signal with Hunter Biden, this is the guy's the son of the guy who's trying to push for accountability and for better efforts on corruption. Uh, again, I mean, I, I wasn't there in the room. I didn't have the conversation. But a lot of the times they want famous people with good reputations or their family members for optics and to help improve the image. So you could argue, if anything, Hunter Biden was picked as a way to help reverse that corrupt image. But again, we were in the office during the discussions yeah but it's hard to find anything bad that happened on his watch and you actually find some good things now that doesn't mean hunter biden either was responsible for them but if we're going to have all these speculative conversations where it's like here's a company and here's stuff it didn't hunter biden was on it then at the very least if good things happened while he was there in the effort of pushing against corruption that very much should be part of the conversation and more prominently so since you can tie that specifically to his tenure mm. i mean people are very quick to 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 jump and say anything bad that happened while someone was at a company was obviously you know as a result of them being there um in any in any form you know if you want to vilify someone it's like every bad decision made was clearly coming from them but anything <laughs> good that happens you know we don't know who was involved so so you know you, you make a very fair point <laughs> so where do you think that the 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 entire um ukraine scandal then fits into the the wider um sort of russia narrative well i'll get to that in a second actually okay, but yeah. by, by wrapping up a point from earlier that's going to bring us into that okay so just to make a point when the, the the republicans accusation and the kremlin line is that joe biden is corrupt and he pressured and withheld american aid so that victor shokin who is investigating burisma that that's a that's false that's not true but to get him out of the way to protect his son's position at Burisma. The reality is by getting rid of Victor Shokin, who is sitting easy on these cases and not pursuing them, it wasn't just Burisma. And you'll hear Rudy Giuliani often say something ridiculous, that Burisma is the most corrupt company in Ukraine, which is absolutely absurd. There are A, so many corrupt companies there, and B, so many corrupt companies with far worse allegations and problems going on than what was going on with Burisma. Mm. So that is just patently absurd. But I mean, uh, Rudy Giuliani Biden would know. <laughs> well, you know, look, he used to be a great prosecutor. I mean, I, don't get me started mm. when he took on the Russian, the, the, uh, the, the mob in New York, right? The Italian mafia, but that's a whole nother thing. But, um, so with, with Ukraine and sorry, with Burisma, Victor Shokin's removal actually exposed Burisma and therefore Hunter's position with Burisma, Biden's own son's position on the board to negative action, to further investigation. Not that his son had done anything wrong, but it's bad for his son if the company comes under investigation and gets prosecuted and yada, yada, yada. All this was on the table with whoever was going to replace Shokin, and that was the whole point. So Biden actually put his family's interests aside and said, I'm going to get someone who's going to look at companies like Burisma and may very well look into Burisma, even though my son's on the board. So the narrative that the, the Republicans and that Putin's allies and Russian media and, and Shokin himself have pushed are completely uh, gaslighting. 
because it's literally an example of Biden putting his family interests aside, exposing his son's position to risk in pursuing what was in U.S. interests and Ukrainian interests, and that was pursuing anti-corruption efforts. And so what happened, this is why we went into impeachment, and this goes into the giant picture to get to your other question of Trump-Russia. Um, Giuliani's on the ground working with some of his agents, and then they're liaising with corrupt people tied to earlier uh, administrations, including Yanukovych. And one of these people is Dmitry Firtash, who's this oligarch who is central to this giant money laundering scheme that involved billions of dollars of Ukrainian gas, in which Putin essentially organized it so that Gazprom would sell really low price gas to intermediary shell companies that Dmitry Firtash, this Ukrainian oligarch who is allied with Putin uh, and allied with uh, Viktor Yanukovych and his party of regions, which is the pro-Russian, was the pro-Russian party for many years in uh, the major pro-Russian party in Ukraine. And this is, by the way, this is where we start getting a little you know, bells, bells ringing, four alarm fire. This is the same guy that Paul Manafort worked for as his top political consultant for years. Paul Manafort as in the man who would run Trump's campaign at the height of the 2016 election, including the period where he clinched enough delegates and had his convention and won the nomination. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this guy had been dealing with, uh, Putin allies and these Ukrainian oligarchs allied with Putin for years including Oleg Deripaska on, on, on efforts to subvert uh, political affairs in Montenegro to make them more pro-Kremlin. And then later on, during 2016, there's actually a, the Russians get caught trying to have a, a hot coup in Montenegro, right? But there were earlier efforts in which this guy Manafort uh, partnered with Oleg Deripaska, uh, a, a, a Russian oligarch very close to, to Putin, on, on these and other efforts to boost Putin's image and to help his allies. And at the same time, he was helping Viktor Yanukovych this whole time. So Dmitry Firtash is right in the middle. He's the public face of kind of the money scams in which this really cheap gas coming from Gazprom under Putin's direction was sold to Firtash, who then sold it at a much higher rate to the Ukrainian state. And then they took those profits to flood Ukrainian politicians in the political scene with cash to bribe and control your politicians to bend them to the the will of putin to the party of regions to Viktor yanukovych's interests which were again all tied to putin's desire to keep ukraine in russia's orbit to keep it from having stronger ties with the west to keep it from joining with the eu and to keep it under his thumb and so this entire situation that we're talking about in ukraine is all part of this worldwide chess game since the end of the Cold War, in which Putin especially has tried to reassert so, uh, Russian influence over former Soviet states and former Russian-dominated states and former Soviet-dominated states. So not just those that were in the Soviet Union, but some that were outside. And in this case, we have Ukraine as ground zero. This epic struggle since the Orange Revolution back in the mid-2000s, all the way through now, where there's actually a war it's a war for the soul of Ukraine, a war for Russian influence versus Western influence. And this is going on in, in many other places. It's going on. Uh, there's a lot of uh, issues with Transnistria and Moldova. There are issues in the Baltic states. Uh, 
There's also issues where we see with Brexit, with the Scottish referendum, with Catalonia, Putin is also trying to, as, as much as expand his own reach, destabilize and weaken the West. So all this is tied together, and you actually have the same people sometimes involved in these situations. So one example of that is this guy, Yevgeny Prigozhin, also known as Putin's chef, who ran the, the, the Internet Research Agency kind of social media uh, efforts against the U.S. in 2016, but he also runs the Wagner mercenary company, which is doing operations in Ukraine and Syria, among other countries. Now there's active in Central Africa, for example. So the same guy who's running social media campaigns against the West is also running mercenary, really an extension of the, of the Russian military operations in Ukraine, in Syria. So this is all one big war for Putin against the West to destabilize Western democracy, to destabilize NATO and the EU, to make us as weak as possible, and to expand his control over the, the, the states that as quickly as they could ran away from Russia after the Cold War. And Ukraine is smack dab in the middle of that. Everything going on between Zelensky and Putin and before that, Poroshenko and Putin, and before that, with Yanukovych and Putin working together to keep this kind of old-style corrupt Soviet state-type operation going on in Ukraine. And Poroshenko's election, and especially Zelensky's, was a rebuke of that, which infuriated Putin, right? So that's the whole big picture, is that we're essentially Ukraine's ground zero in the battle for democracy and for the Western uh, influence versus Russian influence worldwide. Yeah, I just also want to note that that, that around the time that, that Hunter Biden then took over and the, the sort of the, the time of all these events that, are, that, that we're discussing um, sort of is framed as well in 2014 with the, the, the Russian annexation of, of the Crimea, which I, I mean, which is a, 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 such a bold and, and crazy move that they just sort of invaded part of Ukraine and, and took it. And we sort of just were like, OK, <laughs> But uh, I hadn't, I had not really like heard heard anyone expressing Ukraine as being so important in the the, the battle for the well between the the east and the west, basically between in that that struggle in in Eastern Europe. Do do you think that that Russia are winning that struggle at the moment in your mind? I do, and I want to be fair to Russia too, by the way, because I I don't blame them at all for wanting to have strong influence in Ukraine and for trying really hard to keep Ukraine pro-Russian. Uh, they have been invaded throughout the centuries through Ukraine and suffered devastating losses of life and industry and what have you, whether we're talking about two German invasions in the 20th century, Napoleon, before that you have issues with the Poles and Lithuanians sometimes even in other eras. Uh, and if we had the Russians doing a very strong pro-Russian campaign in Mexico or Canada, I think that would make us nervous. What I can't forgive is how the Ukrainian people are free to choose what they want. And again, I'm aware that there is a bit of U.S. hypocrisy here. If you go back to the height of the Cuban Revolution and the days of the early days of Fidel Castro, at the same time, that was the 1960s. That was a different world. We are now in 2020, and the U.S. is not doing Bay of Pigs stuff anymore uh, when it comes to trying to preserve our, our influence in the Western Hemisphere and in other places. 
There are big exceptions like Bush and Iraq, and that has been repudiated as a failed model uh, to just go in big on regime change, even on a, a, a country that uh, was more or less contained. That's not to say that strikes against Assad or the Libya situation were the exact same thing. I would maintain that they're not. But essentially, I understand that Russia wants to preserve its influence. But what, again, the problem I have is that the Ukrainian people should have free and fair elections to be able to decide who they want to be allied with. And instead of Putin installing corrupt rulers through corrupt means, through bribery, extortion, and the Russian mafia, because what I didn't mention earlier with Furtash is that he was the public face of the financing to some degree, even though it was sort of hidden. But beneath the surface was uh, Putin's top right-hand guy in terms of the Russian mafia, Semyon Mogilevich, his financial whiz of, of organized crime. And he was running all the stuff behind the scenes. And this guy is super close with, with, uh, with Putin. So what you have is this really disgusting operation that turned uh, Ukraine into, I mean, it already kind of was, but it even intensified and, and preserved its status as a mafia kind of uh, client state uh, where democracy is kind of a sham, where it's kind of a joke. And, you know, what I say to Putin is actually do good things for Ukraine, be a good ally to Ukraine, invest not corruptly, but invest in, in real companies that will do a good job and serve the Ukrainian people. Don't just try to turn Ukraine into some kind of kleptocratic paradise for you and your friends and where the only object is to stay in charge and forget whatever else, actually trying to write by Ukrainian, you might find that Ukrainians, the ones that are very anti-Russian or want to move away from Russia, they may take a different look. If you want to preserve your relationship with Ukraine, make it as good as possible. Because the fact of the matter is young people in Ukraine really wanted to be oriented with the European Union, with better jobs, better technology, less corruption, a better future, investing in education, investing in opportunities, being able to travel throughout the EU and work in, in different parts of the world and, and, and study in different parts of the world. This is why young people got out into the middle of the main square in Kiev and were willing to be shot at by snipers and die. They wanted a better future for Ukraine and that corrupt old way of doing things that Putin was so intent on forcing against the will of Ukrainians onto Ukraine. That's what the last decade and a half have been all about. And then you realize that that not only Trump's uh, campaign manager for a big chunk of the campaign was Yanukovych's right-hand man and helping him stay in power, which is, again, Putin's whole endgame there. Mm -hmm. uh, you have other figures that are now involved uh, with Rudy Giuliani and his agents, this guy Fruman and Parnas. They both got arrested. One of them is flipped. Parnas is flipped. Uh, they were arrested about to fly to Vienna to meet with Furtash. But um, you have multiple figures from the United States, from Trump's campaign, in the orbit of people around this Ukraine stuff, like Dmitry Furtash, uh, Viktor Yanukovych and others, uh, Oleg Deripaska. I mean, there's so many bad connections, and they're not small. They're not slight. And that's the issue, is that Trump got in trouble for trying to pressure Zelensky, the current president of Ukraine, 
he got in trouble for trying to pressure Zelensky to dig up fake dirt and announce. It wasn't even the investigation. He just wanted the announcement. Why did he want the announcement? To damage Biden in the primaries in 2016 so that Biden would take a big hit that, oh, Ukraine's investigating Joe Biden or Hunter Biden, and that that would have harmed, this is in later 2019, that would have harmed Joe Biden in the primaries and may very well have prevented him from getting the nomination. Trump was interfering in both the Democratic primary and in Ukrainian politics. And this is all tied to the bigger picture with Russia and Putin. And that's why the Russians are siding with Trump and literally feeding the Trump people and Republicans like Senator Ron Johnson and this bogus report that he put out. They're feeding propaganda that is being repeated by Fox News, being repeated by Donald Trump, being repeated by the administration and Rudy Giuliani and others and all over Russian social media and all over social media and Twitter. And the whole thing is that, okay, oh, so Trump's corrupt, but so is Joe Biden. So is Hunter Biden. And if they just repeat it enough, the idea is that everything is the same. Everybody's corrupt. It doesn't matter. And that's what Putin's whole uh, MO is when it comes to trying to sell himself to the rest of the world is that, oh, the West is just as bad. They're corrupt. They do bad things too. But at least we're consistent. If we ally with you, you can kill your own people, but we won't care. We'll still keep pumping you arms and money and, and support. Yeah, I mean that it's uh it's a pretty da- it's a pretty damning indictment of of the situation we're in, but like I think it's a pretty um reasonable assessment of 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 that's what that's what they're looking for in that they just needed one tiny thing, one morsel of a whiff of corruption um with Joe Biden or whoever the the opponent would have been, um, you know, whoever it might have been of the twenty three or whatever that, that sort of started out in the in the Democratic race there for for the nomination. Uh, <laughs> too many, yeah, the, way too the, many. The the, the 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 big army of people they had trying to run, but um, I think it, it definitely talks to that. That's that that would have been the tactic is just like find the tiniest morsel or whiff of corruption and just like hammer that until people believe that that's the same. Um, so because that's that's what they do, and I just wrote about this. They amp the Russian or there's no organized social media effort in the world like the Russians organized social media, where there's all these people paid by the government to pretend to be authentic people and what have you. And so when they want to amplify something, I mean, I'll be up late writing something at about three in the morning or four in the morning, and I will see Antifa attacks something flooding social media at three, four in the morning. U.S. time. I'm like, who in America is tweeting about Antifa being a threat at three or four in the morning? It's not. It's the Russians. They are amplifying whatever they can to damage Democrats, to damage Biden, to help Trump. And you see the craziest things trending during Moscow office hours in crazy times in the middle of the night in in the United States. And so it's not just them, though, because the way that they succeed and the way the right-wing media in America succeeds as well is that when they repeat it enough, the mainstream media starts repeating it. And there have been so many lazy segments by the mainstream media where it's like, here's someone to say Burisma is bad for Hunter Biden. Here's someone to say it's good. And it's two minutes, so you can't even get into any details or really refute any of that. And they had month after month after month of this kind of scandal. The New York Times and the BBC even were reporting major stories on this. Even there was no proof whatsoever. And these are respectable mainstream outlets that are falling prey to this because they just see it repeated so much 
in other extremist outlets or non-mainstream outlets that they feel they have to comment on it or they have to start covering it. And that part of this is that the right-wing media is always, and, and Republicans, and I guess you could say the Tories in the UK, they're always attacking the media as being quote-unquote liberal or for labor or for the Democrats. So there's this kind of built-in self-consciousness where if we don't talk about what they're talking about, we're going to look biased, we're going to look like we're ignoring the story, even though they're basically making the story up. Hmm. So you have this horrible dynamic where the mainstream press does more than anybody else to give credibility to these issues. Because once the New York Times has a major op-ed on its front webpage about Hunter Biden and Burisma, the damage is done. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that that, that happens in in that the sto- the fact that there's something happening or so- the fact that a story is being discussed then becomes the story. Um, it's like, oh, look, all these people are focusing on this thing. Well, the fact that everyone's focusing on this thing is is becomes like their their the story, the coverage of it, um, and it kind of spirals out from there. And it's like, oh, then the story becomes someone's reaction to someone discussing that everyone was. Um, talking about this thing and it, yeah, it gets the the russians uh social media effort is is uh, is incredibly well organized it was something i had to had to look at for while i was um researching my book and it it's just mind-blowingly organized and mind-blowing how they can they can push things up the agenda because as you rightly say it's not about always people paying attention to their initial tweets or exactly what they're saying it's about putting something a on the agenda so that it looks like people are freaking out about it and um gaslighting or triggering or, or however one you put it other people to then respond to it and then blow it up from there so it's 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 like they're sort of just laying the traps and then waiting for everyone to fall into them rather than them sort of like just pushing constant um misinformation but and as impressive as their effort is, it's the mainstream press that gives it the most amplification. Mm. And they're not being paid by the Russians. That's just it. When they manipulate the mainstream press to start covering and talking about this, and it's not just that. They know how to target kind of the Bernie far leftist types, right? The people who hate centrist or moderate Democrats anyway because they're not super liberal enough for them. Even though in America and the UK right now, we're seeing that those countries are more more conservative than the super liberal take on things. Even if you agree with that, if you want to advance super liberal causes, you have to pick someone that is more palatable to most people. So when the far left and the entire right are talking about something, for example, the whole Tara Reid situation, where I don't know for sure what happened. I just know that I look at any situation, any allegation. And to be fair to women, over 90% of the time or more, when anyone comes out with allegations like this, they do end up being true. And there are so many women who don't come out because they're afraid of the scrutiny and what comes with that. But there were so many problems with Tara Reid's story and her background and her credibility among people who knew her, among her own statements, uh, just saying why she left Biden's office kept changing, for example. So there were so many problems with that. But who was tweeting about it nonstop? The right and the far left. All the Bernie people in particular during the primary it was it was the best thing they could find about Biden, and they you literally had all these pro Bernie accounts, and I couldn't even tell you how many of them were bots, Russian bots or otherwise. But it would be the name would be I love Tara Reid, I love Bernie. It would like they would put Tara Reid's name. This is an investigation an allegation that had not been even vetted or investigated yet, right? They just put her name immediately in, and they were tweeting about it nonstop. Mm. 
Well, I know that the, the one of the, the tactics that, that Russia have used um, in the past is to ape both sides of um, both sides of the political spectrum in order to sort of sure. drive the drive the conflict like they, there's 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 examples from the, um, during the 2016 cycle where um, they would set up like simultaneous events for mm-hmm. Trump supporters and Clinton supporters or say like pro they'd be like you know we're gonna have this Antifa den- like or you know yeah Antifa demonstration or we're gonna have like some pro women um, you know march or something and then at the same time they would be organizing like a like a like a neo-nazi march or like a, a kekistani's like meeting at the same place yeah. in order to just bring the people to the same spot and make them fight like they, they were literally just yeah. like 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 yeah <laughs> they were designing and in all. 2016 you had, you had some fist fights but think about how bad the climate is in the united states now in terms of the violence between some of these groups i guarantee you russia's doing the same thing and we didn't find out until far after those events took place in 2016 that these were Russians behind these events. Mm-hmm. But honestly, like it, it's certainly happening now. And what scares me, especially with what's going to happen in the immediate aftermath of this election and on election day, is violence between these different groups and how many of them are going to be organized by the Russians or if not organized, how many of them are going to be amplified and promoted so that there's even more intense turnout and more intense whatever. Because the, the genius of the Russians, the genius of Putin, is that they're not creating brand new divisions and and somehow doing that to the united states they are exploiting very real and raw divisions that already exist but they're making them worse they're jamming a knife into the wound they're jamming their finger into that wound they're pouring acid on it and they're making it worse and worse and worse and when you have such a concerted effort it it's hard to quantify it but the idea that it's not a significant effect on the intensity of this um, because of this Russian effort where they're constantly focused on race relations and police brutality, both blue lives matter and black lives matter and trying to make people disaffected from the center. Cause they want the extremes to do well. Mm. That way that the hall, the center is hollowed out. There's a collapse of the center. Yeah. And well, that's when the way yeah. Europe and America go these days, the, the, if the center collapses, it's not a left-wing guy that comes to power. It's the far right. And that far right matches Putin's political party and his, domestic approach to politics ethno nationalist kind of machismo nationalism mm. i mean there's a there's a whole bunch of sort of like large-scale psychological reasons that we, we tend to get like when there's such just de- uh, there's such like de- a destabilized climate that you end up with with someone from the right um but you, you're definitely right and and that's that's probably where it's being pushed like i mean if you're if you're just going to talk it's like if i was russia um, the, you know the the divisions, like you say, are already there. Um, it doesn't it doesn't take much to to kind of fan the flames a little bit, especially in in the social media area. You can just kind of you just you just target a few ads, you know, program a few bots, and all of a sudden you've got like people freaking out over something. You just do that repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly, and it it doesn't even take like a huge amount of resources um, to to actually do it, but. Uh, have you have you are you familiar with the the foundations of geopolitics um is that particular book yeah it's by alexander dugan or duggan um basically okay yeah this yeah he's like he's like the brain trust of like putin's right-wing russian nationalism yeah, I, this like, guy. he like really came up with that stuff and he's their chief kind of academic architect of uh of that mentality of that approach 
Yeah, and like I mean, do you think that that their genuine aim is to is to completely destabilize the West and, and you know in order to become the the sole superpower, or at least in in the sort of European sphere? You know, I really do, and and you have to. I'll go to my ebook real quick, mm -hmm. and um, I'm going to show um, kind of. We just want to take a 30 year journey okay. from basically 1990 to. Um, to now, and if we understand what has happened and what Putin has been able to do in just a few short years, right? So here, let me just pull this up. Um, okay, just, okay. This is a chapter from, I'm not reading a chapter or anything, but the, <laughs> a chapter from my ebook, The Collapse of Russia's European Influence, okay? So when you look at the Russian extent of influence and power just before the fall of the Berlin Wall and the fall of the Soviet Union, you really have the peak of Russia's power. Yes, uh, Tsar, the Tsar's armies marched into Paris uh, when they beat Napoleon, but they didn't stay. They didn't create a bunch of satellite states all over Europe, right? But at the end of the Cold War, you have all of Eastern Europe, except for like Yugoslavia, and I think Albania was like independent communist, but all, almost all of Eastern Europe is under Russian control. And they are a feared, respected world power. They are, it's always the U.S. and the USSR. Those are the only two superpowers people think of. And the only two superpowers. Um, so Putin, it, it, if we go from 1991 uh, to, two, you know, to, to the first quarter of 1999, all right, just months before Putin decides to run for the presidency, the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Poland, that had all been satellite states, formally joined NATO. Before Putin's, Putin's first full year in office, Russia's uh, leader and ally in Serbia, Slobodan Milosevic, uh, who was responsible for so many bad things in the Balkans, was ousted by his own people in 2000. Okay? And this, this is, you know, Russia has a long uh, Slavic and Christian Orthodox ties to this, this country, and they were involved with them in World War I, and that's why Russia was so deep in World War I. Late 2003 or early 2004, we see the former Soviet state of Georgia with the Rose Revolution. And this guy, Saakashvili, who Putin would really clash with, comes to power. So they just lost Georgia. Not even a full quarter in the 2004, Bulgaria, Romania, and Slovakia ended up joining NATO. And... Uh, you also had, you know, Yugoslavia breaking up, which was Serb dominated as well, right? Um, so Yugoslavia, the Slovenes even embraced a new theory of their identity as being non-Slavic. Okay. So you were seeing not just Russian military, but cultural, linguistic, religious ties being weakened all over Europe. Okay, and then. That was just in the first few years of Putin's presidency. Now look where we are. Okay? We we have, in just a few short years, since Putin really became aggressive with this stuff, we, we're, we're saying from 2014, you have Ukraine. Okay? Not much later, you've got massive Russian involvement in Syria in a way the U.S. never got involved, in a way that absolutely tilted the conflict towards their, their guy, Assad, there in a way that has very much limited U.S. influence in the region. Um, and then you have Brexit, which we can get into this if you want. I'd love to hear your thoughts, where 
that was very close to that vote, and the Russian social media was very, very active mm. on that front. You have Brexit in the same year as Trump and winning and Clinton getting slammed by Russia's effort. And that's literally the two most stalwart pillars of the the NATO alliance, the Atlantic alliance of, of anti-Russian, anti-communist uh you know, act, activity throughout the Cold War. Those are the two biggest, you know, pillars, centers of that. And these are serious, we may even say decades from now or less than that, mortal wounds to our domestic polities in the UK and the uh, the um, the United States. That's in 2016. And that same year, you had a failed coup in Montenegro. They were being very aggressive. The Russians tried pursuing a coup in Montenegro, okay? And since then, you've had a lot of interfering in Italian, in Austrian. The whole Austrian government collapsed because of this crazy stuff where they were they were exchanging favors with Russian oligarchs. Mm-hmm. You have the French where Marine Le Pen and before that her father were taking money from the Russians and all kinds of social media efforts to go after uh, Macron. And the thing, and, and let's give the French some credit. They tried to spew out some bullshit about Macron's gay and yada yada. And they just, the French just didn't care. <laughs> and they also have election, they just said, we're not buying this garbage. And they have election laws to limit what kind of random crap can be thrown out in the press in, in, in the week or couple of weeks before a final election. So they, their society is structured, but their mentality, they're just not going to allow themselves to be duped in the way that I'm sorry, but Americans and it seems Brits, but especially Americans were in 2016. They, they tried the same stuff in other places. The, the, the Americans were the ones that just fell for it more than others, but they've made a lot of progress in Europe. Uh, we were one of the main parties in France is pro-Russian. Uh, several of the main parties in Italy are pro-Russian. It's not just the five-star movement, but the, the Northern league and they're governing Italy. And it's not, excuse me, it's not uh, impossible to imagine a scenario where because of the Italian banking sector collapsing in the near future, some kind of bailout is made uh, by Russia to help uh, Italy where Germany and the rest of the EU don't want to go there. And lo and behold, a Russian base and appears on an Italian coast or a withdrawal from NATO. I mean, it, these parties are anti-NATO in Italy. Italy is one of the biggest European states. They are just one economic crisis away from a major collapse. And the Russians are poising themselves to be able to to really take NATO apart. I mean, Marine Le Pen was threatening to withdraw from NATO. Trump has threatened to withdraw from NATO. Who knows if he'll do that in the second term or not? And there's a lot of anti-NATO propaganda going on in the EU right now. And... It's just really scary because you look if you look at the stability of Europe, you look at the Catalan secessionist movement and how big that was. You look at the Scots; they're coming up for another round, it seems. Mm. And this is stuff that the the Russians are egging on and supporting with their social media campaigns. So if the UK devolves and loses Scotland, if Spain loses Catalonia, if Italy becomes much more detached from, look at what happened with coronavirus. Trump dragged his feet on aiding the Italians. The Russians sent in these convoys and i wrote about this in detail where they're bragging about all this aid to the eu and then they find out that the aid that they're bragging about by from an italian paper it's not what the russians say it is and they're sending chemical and biological warfare specialists in. what 
Yeah, I'm not kidding. This is I, I have a whole article. I'll link to Seriously? this, but this is uh, La Stampa. Awesome. Yes, and the thing is, this is what they did during the smallpox uh, eradication program, where the Soviets, to their credit, did contribute hundreds of millions of doses of smallpox vaccine. But then they sent their biological warfare experts into India when they were dealing with some of the most virulent and final strains of smallpox in nature. And they they collected samples and they weaponized smallpox in and put them in ICBMs as a result. So who knows what they were doing to study uh, what was going on with coronavirus in Italy at the peak. But they had a public relations coup where they essentially sent in military teams to help uh, the Italians before the Americans did. Because Donald Trump was blowing that opportunity. Every chance the Russians have to make us look bad and to get in there and to win PR. You know, they had all these – they paid people on WhatsApp to take pictures of the Russian convoy in Italy and say, thank you so much, Russia. And they were like paid efforts. And they didn't even have the supplies that they claimed, the degree of the supplies that they had. And then a lot of the equipment was stuff that the Italians didn't even need. But that's not the narrative that Russia today and the propaganda. And again, they, they, they're they also on the ground. The Russian military is on the ground in a NATO country. The idea that they don't have you know, GRU or somebody embedded there trying to do more surveillance on NATO installations, it's absurd. Of course they would. So this is continent-wide, and it's really scary. Because we're not united right now. The Europe has relied on the U.S. to lead them in these situations. Obviously, the U.S. isn't doing that right now. And who's really leading Europe? I know Merkel and Macron are kind of, but there's just not the same cohesiveness. Uh, And you have several political parties, major political parties in Europe. You have the Republican Party of the United States that are essentially know they're getting aid from the Russians and are shutting up about saying anything bad about them as a result. And that, that happened in the span of six years, from 2014 to 2020. So how much ground is he making up after the f- end of the Cold War? It's, it's amazing what he's done, what Putin's mm, done. I mean, that's a pretty damning, uh, that's pretty damning when, when you lay it out like that. Uh, in terms of, of, of their influence in, in, in Brexit, uh, as you mentioned, uh, there is a lot of kind of unexplained um, Russian connections to a lot of the people involved in some of the Vote Leave uh, campaigns. Uh, well, Vote Leave. And just super quick, that report from the Parliamentary Committee was like, this is so bad, we're just not going to even say it out loud because it's so bad, we're so embarrassed, this could destabilize us. We're redacting how bad, how infiltrated yeah. we are, how many financial ties, how many people in the House mm-hmm. of Lords. They literally redacted that point, but they were smart. They put in the footnotes what topic they were talking about just to let the public know enough mm. this is really bad. But they, they were so ashamed and scared of the reaction they wouldn't even release that information in terms of how compromised the UK political system was. And at one point, they even had a line where it was, we're so compromised on this front, we're not even going to start talking about that. We're just going to focus on this smaller part so we can deal with that. That's how compromised they fear the UK system mm. is. I mean, the, the the thing I'm always trying to figure out with, with Russian influence in UK politics is is just how much of the Russian money that, that's pouring into the Conservative Party at the minute is sort of based around you know don't 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 stop us laundering our money here and how much of it is them attempting to to sort of push lines from from putin you know it's 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 i can't quite tell how much of it is like actual like russian state based influence that they're trying to exert or how much of it is just sort of 
wealthy people attempting to not be taxed or 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 you know ah but all right but two very quick points on that you also have to remember jeremy corbyn was in some ways casting doubt on some of the scriptball investigation and other Mm. stuff he i don't think jeremy corbyn's one of those ideologues where i actually believe he's credible as in he says what he means and he plays into that old far left kind of that supported the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Oh, you can't trust our own intelligence agencies and stuff. But yeah, we again, we have problems, but this is not the 1960s where the U.S. is, is helping you assassinate the leader of the Congo and we're sending Castro exploding cigars. It's a different world now. Um, so, but Jeremy Corbyn on the left was, was spewing some stuff that Russia would only have been too happy with as well. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about the private and the public, that's where the Russian model is so brilliant because what... Putin wasn't doing this with Kremlin like treasury money. What he does is he gets these businessmen who own huge companies that are tied often, not in the case of Trump, but in the case of these Ukrainians I mentioned, to natural resources, to energy, to essential things that the state needs. And he gets his people in power there or has where they have enough relationships where that Money going through the Russian mafia goes to these corrupt companies, which end up dominating certain things like gas or electricity in, in, in Ukraine or in other Central Asian or East European states. And then these companies become extensions, these, these shell companies, these front companies, these oligarchs' assets, they become extensions of the Kremlin. So there's almost no separation between the Russian government companies allied to Putin and the Russian mafia and the three of them all work together and they these business deals cannot be separated from uh Putin's aims Putin's geopolitical aims and if you look at the Gazprom deals where they, there was no reason they are literally selling gas in ways that they are losing money but it doesn't matter because it's extending Russian power and influence so you know these state-owned companies or even private companies it doesn't matter if they're if they're connected to Putin and Russia, that's a big part of it. So when you're talking about all this private Russia money going into the UK, it's not that all of it is definitely connected to Putin and the Kremlin and Russian geopolitical interests, but certainly large amounts of it are. And because of the loose uh, laws with real estate and investing that the UK has and that the United States has, it's almost impossible to tell to what degree, but you know it's a large degree. And a great example of this is the FL Group, this Icelandic uh, kind of shady financial firm that funded the Trump Soho and other Trump projects that also was connected to Alexander Schneider. That We could go on a whole other thing on him, but that was he was the big guy in the Trump Toronto deal. And this FL Group's collapse was a big part of the financial crisis the global financial crisis in 2008. And at the same time, Trump was doing business with FL Group and ended up costing them a bunch of money. Uh, he was doing business with Bear Stearns in, uh, on the Trump-Panama situation, which involved narcos, like South American narcotics syndicates and the Russian mafia, and that went to hell. And Bear Stearns losing a lot of money and FL Group losing a lot of money were the catalysts for the U.S. financial crisis and the global financial crisis in 2008, respectively. So you actually can tie Donald Trump to the collapse of the world economy in 2008 as well. <laughs> Seriously. 
And these Whoa. were significant deals. They weren't the biggest deals necessarily, but they were major deals that went under right at a time when these companies failed and they brought the whole global, the U.S. and global economies mm. down with them. And I have that documented in my ebook as well. But that goes back to your question with the U.K., where the private Russian money going into uh, either the U.S. or the U.K., it's not entirely private and it's in many ways connected to Putin and his political game. Okay, so have, what are your um, sort of predictions for <laughs> November 3rd? I mean, if we have a free and fair election, Biden is way up in the polls. He's doing way better than Hillary was, and he's been remarkably consistent for months. And he's increasing his lead oh, really? now. In a free and fair election, I yes, in a free and fair election. Few days, the poll tracker. Yeah, the average was about seven and eight, and now we're over nine in the average, uh, the polling average, the weighted polling average from 538. If you're going to look at any polling averages, look oh, at them. Real clear uh, politics yeah, say. doesn't wait. Yeah, real clear politics doesn't wait, and it doesn't uh, account for some of the more partisan polls. 538 does, and Biden's over 9% average right now. And he's up by a lot of that, by a similar margin in a lot of the swing states. So in a free and fair election, Biden should almost certainly win. I, I mean, things could change in the next few weeks. We've had lots of curveballs before, but there's enough of a cushion that even if Biden tanks and Trump goes up, that nine points is a really tough gap, even with a polling error, to overcome. However, I said if we have a free and fair election, and that's the problem. Because if you've been following what's been going on with Trump and the mail-in yeah, votes, what do you mean, we are in the middle of a by, by free and fair election. <laughs> so America, for the most part, has had free and fair elections for most of its history. Although earlier in its history, there was a lot more corruption at the local level. The whole Tammany Hall, New York City kind of uh, machine. We had some disputed elections in like the Gilded Age and like the 1870s because you had reconstruction where the white supremacists that lost the civil war were using terrorism to intimidate black voters to kill them to murder them to murder their allies to attack u.s troops that were stationed there after the civil war protecting the black right to vote and there was a corrupt deal in 1876 with that election in doubt that essentially ended reconstruction and allowed jim crow to take the jim crow laws the, the racist laws to take over in the south they were not repealed until beginning then the 1950s and 60s. And really, that era didn't end until 1965 in law. In practice, it still took more time. Um, so at least since 1965, America has been as close to a true democracy as it ever has been because everybody in America had the access to vote in free of, of pressure, free of shenanigans. And we've had free and fair elections, at least at the federal level and at most state and local races, since 1965 with the Voting Rights okay. Act. And what happened, what's interesting, A, uh, the Republican-dominated court in 2013 invalidated part of the Voting Rights Act, essentially saying, oh, that was a long time ago, and those states that were really bad before don't deserve to have federal scrutiny on their voting practices, so we're going to get rid of the idea that they need to clear things with the federal government to to be able to do stuff, which is a huge issue because a lot of these southern states are now engaging in blatant voter suppression again. That's a whole other topic. But essentially, we still have a mostly free and fair elections um, until the last presidential election, where because of that Voting Rights Act decision I mentioned in 2013, that 1965 legislation was severely weakened, and the Republicans engaged in a tremendous amount of voter suppression 
in 2016. And I would argue that even more than we're talking about Jill Stein votes and Gary Johnson and and Russian social media, that allowed Republicans to skew the results in in several important states. But now we have this problem again where the Russians are up to their, their, their shenanigans again. And there's that, that lack of protections from the Voting Rights Act. But Trump is casting doubt on mail-in voting. This is a big thing I imagine some of your listeners have heard of, where because of our pandemic, we're seeing let's let as many people vote as possible by mail. And so because of the crazy propaganda and nonsense, by the way, a lot of this propaganda is also accentuated by the Republicans. This coronavirus propaganda and misinformation and disinformation that it's a hoax or it's not that bad or it's not as bad as the flu all that nonsense trump's republican voters who tend to be much more rural and therefore not living in crowded areas meaning they get to go vote in a small town wait in line for a short period of time don't have to be exposed to as many people or in areas that are as as infected by coronavirus because they're not dense urban centers his voters are way more likely to want to vote in person and to not feel the need to vote in using the mail-in ballot system that we're ramping up. Democrats, on the other hand, tend to live in cities, are not crazy in the sense that they accept coronavirus is real and not a hoax. They're very afraid of it. It's their communities that are being disproportionately affected by it. And so they, by much larger margins than Republicans, prefer to vote mail-in. And so the problem that we're going to have is that Trump has been and his attorney and other Republican officials, not all of them, plenty of state Republican officials uh, in the country in particular, I want to give Ohio credit, their governor and their secretary of state are, are pushing back and claiming that this is a hoax, this is dangerous, there's all kinds of opportunities for voters, voter fraud and cheating. and whatever. There's no evidence whatsoever to back any of this up. It's all nonsense, but they are casting doubt on this process. And Trump's actual uh, postmaster general has has gone into has has not himself, but he's used his authority to remove voting. Uh, to, sorry, to remove uh, uh, mail collection machines, to lay off staff, to cut back on funding, so that it's actually going to be harder and slower to count mail and ballots. And so he. And the court ordered him to stop this, right? But he already, in many key areas, removed mail, removed ballots, uh, counting machines, sorry, mail counting machines and sorting machines. They were being dismantled and destroyed. But he said, okay, fine. The court told me I had to stop, but I'm not replacing any of the ones I took out. And Trump is continually attacking mail and voting. So what's going to happen is way more Republicans are going to vote in person on election day, way more Democrats. Democrats are going to vote by mail. And in many states, those votes won't be counted until the starting the day of the election and after. And what's going to happen is the initial returns are going to show a disproportionate amount of Republican votes. And there's going to be far fewer Democratic votes relative to the portion of Republican votes counted because of the whole mail-in situation. So the initial returns as reported by the media and election commissions and what have you, local bodies, are going to show Trump up in swing states. Before the mail-in votes are counted. And what Trump's going to do is say, aha, I win. The Democrats are trying to cheat with this mail-in nonsense. I'm the winner of the election. It's going to go to lawsuits and all these ugly fights and all this other crap. And that's where the Supreme Court nomination is so important because Trump wants to get his person in in time to rule on any of 
the cases about the election that will come to the Supreme yeah. Court. So we are facing I mean, they do already the have most five, transparently suppressed and cheated election. Now it's going to be well, no, it's it's they it's got, um yeah, it's five yeah. three now, and it's going to be six three to be to to be do fair to John Roberts, he's ruled horribly on voting rights. Well, he's the, the chief justice that was appointed by Bush has been really bad on voting rights, but he's also been really good recently at standing up to Trump and trying to make the court more neutral. So we might have had some hope with John Roberts, but yes, I do. It, it, before this recent outbreak where Republicans, because Trump is such an idiot on coronavirus and is infecting himself and others around him, I would have said there's no question the Republicans will get this nominee through. But now they have two Republicans on the Judiciary Committee that needs to meet and vote soon to get her on the, the, the court as soon as possible. They're infected with coronavirus. And there are other people they've been in touch with who have been exposed. And so in theory, they should have to be quarantining. So it'll be interesting to see how reckless the Republicans will be with coronavirus, although it hasn't stopped them before. It didn't stop them during the super spreader event that was the announcement of his nominee for the Supreme Court's, uh, uh, that whole, that whole event, the, the Republican National Convention itself, when he, you know, was out there in the crowd. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they still managed to get her in, but the fact that he's infected multiple senators or that at least events around Trump hasn't have infected multiple senators with the coronavirus who are on the Judiciary Committee might slow this down. Will it slow it down enough to stop her from getting on the court in time? I'm not optimistic that that will happen. I wouldn't, yeah. I mean, I always thought that 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 he probably wouldn't get her through and that that would be just one more reason to get his, his voters to the, the polls. You know, it's just one more thing to animate the base. It's just like, oh, look at those damn Democrats. They're not letting us have our, our nominee. <laughs> That's how I always saw it going. Um but they care so much about the court anyway that them getting him getting her on would be just as much of a motivator. Either way, they get they really turn out when it comes to this court stuff. And even Republicans who hate Trump are saying, "No, I like Amy Coney Barrett, and I'm going to support her." Even Mitt Romney, the one Republican, I was so happy and touched by what he did. I actually cried when he voted against impeach or when he voted to impeach Trump. Yeah, Sorry. Man, that was he was principles. the one Republican to impeach Trump. Yeah, even he is like, "I'm going to support Amy Coney Barrett." Mm. Because in principle, he agrees with her. Well, um, we have run past the R there a little bit, actually. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, we got distracted, but that was a seriously int- uh, interesting discussion, man. I uh, I learned a lot. And hopefully uh, your predictions don't come true for, <laughs> for November 3rd. Because I don't even want to predict a winner, because if it gets to this shit show, literally, where... There are people out in the streets protesting and fighting and mail-in ballots are being thrown out and not counted. Because if you remember back in 2000, the the Bush people were like all too keen on not counting any more votes. And that's what the Supreme Court ruled. The Gore was going to pull ahead of him and they literally stopped the vote count at the state level and then the federal level with the Supreme Court. And that ended the election. But there were still more votes to count and they weren't counted. That was just one state. This is going to happen all over the country now. And it's, 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 I don't know if we're prepared for it. I really don't. And I even interviewed a former major general who was part of a task force that looked at situations like this to try to game out how in danger is our democracy. And the worst case scenarios they came up with were really scary. It's called the Transition Project. Uh, I'll, I'll send the link to you so you can include yeah, that. Do. And by the way, don't take my word. I, I, I do think I'm great and all, <laughs> but 
I check my ebook, check the references. I'm not making any of this stuff up. This isn't just speculation. Mm. This is what's going on right now. And I, I've got the references to prove it in my work. Um, so yeah, is there something you want to you wanna add? Yes, just as a general point, I think, for people to think about all of this. Um, the analogy that I gave of how the media in the U.S., and I imagine in many other places has covered this, is they open up a puzzle box, and they, they're taking pieces of the puzzle, and they're literally throwing them at you. And these pieces are bouncing off of your chest and your body, and they're hitting the ground. Some of them are upside down with the cardboard back. Some of them are facing up. They're not put together. There's no rhyme and reason. Maybe sometimes you get a chunk of five or six or ten puzzle pieces put together that are thrown at you in a chunk. But you look down at the ground, even as new pieces are hitting you, and you're seeing a mess. And there's no way for you to put that together as you're having more stuff literally thrown at your face. And that is how the media has covered this Trump-Russia stuff. And literally... Uh, there's a RAND report that describes the efforts at Kremlin disinformation as being a fire hose of falsehoods. Mm, I'm aware and, of the term. Yeah. So the, the problem that we have as that, that the general public has is these are incredibly difficult, complicated geopolitical issues that are buried decades in the making with so many players and moving parts and details across so many borders and what the media is so bad at now compared to the way it used to be is analysis and presenting big picture analysis. They almost never attempt that. I was one of the only people to attempt that in 2016. And there were very few people to do that even in 2017 when it came to this stuff. So if you look at my earlier work, it will mirror much later work that appears in the mainstream media in like 2018 and later. Uh, but the problem that we have is that this stuff is so complicated that the Russians know this. And they know that it looks like a conspiracy theory if you try to put all these things together. So they immediately kind of counter, oh, this person's a crazy conspiracy theorist, blah, 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 blah. And they, it's that complicated on purpose because you do look like a conspiracy theorist. You do look a little bit crazy when you try to put all this together and say this is really, really bad. And no one really even did that in 2016. Now we're seeing that this is a much wider Effort, simultaneous effort, we see, as I mentioned earlier with Prigozhin, that the same guy running Merck Ops in Ukraine and Syria is the same guy running social media against Hillary Clinton. That should tell people something. And for the media to keep repeating on every new detail and then move on to the next thing and then move on to the next thing without pausing and saying, look, this is really how it all fits together. Let's stop throwing new information at you constantly and let's take a pause to really dive into it. And I think to be fair to myself, and I, I know I'm tooting my own horn here, that's what I have done. And that's what only a handful of other reporters in the mainstream media have done. And I list some of these guys in my book. They all deserve credit. Uh, but so few are doing it. You will not turn on, even now, just before the election, you will not turn on CNN or NBC News and see a special half hour or hour devoted to explaining the full picture. Right. You get some special documentaries on HBO and a movie from Showtime with Brendan Gleeson playing Donald Trump, which is excellent, by the way. But how many people are going to see that? These are not mainstream press reports. These are not front page deep dives in major newspapers. So what I urge everyone to do is to look at the deep picture because that's what the media isn't doing. And the reason so few people can talk about this and that so few people are aware of it is that the media most of the time doesn't even try to put the big picture together. They're always racing against each other, competing, 
to get the next detail. And I respect their the pressure they feel because of how many, you know, how, how the news media is hemorrhaging staff and money and, and papers are closing and magazines are closing. I get it, but they have to do a better job covering this and they have to understand that the American people are ready for the big picture and they just have to present it. Yeah, I mean the the sort of loss of the the lack of quality is kind of a a, a, a death spiral. I mean they 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 haven't got the money to hire the best reporters, and therefore they they put on they put together a cheap clickbait sort of like five minute journalism that that gets them clicks, but in the long run doesn't build them a, an audience that's coming to them for for you know solid analysis, and then therefore they lose viewers, and you know the whole process repeats itself. It's a it's a you know it's a sad state of affairs as to the the mainstream media at the minute, but. And Russia won on the clickbait. Yeah. That's that's how they were they were wildly successful. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they kind of they, they they learned how to weaponize it before anyone. And in 2016, how often did you ever hear the reporting on Hillary's emails? By the way, these emails were hacked by Russia. They did not do the same thing to the Republicans. Clearly, they're intervening on the side of the Republicans and Trump against the Democrats and Clinton. You never heard that. You heard that from the Hillary Clinton campaign but not the news media. They just reported it half the time without even trying to vet or, or question where the information was coming from. And they just went wild with it. And they did a lot of that with some of the Burisma stuff last year. So that even now it's still false, but it still sticks to a degree on Joe Biden, except that some people have wisened up more, thankfully. But is it enough? We'll see. Well, um, that seems like a pretty nice place to leave things. Um, so yeah, if you want to, if you want to send me over the, the, the links and whatnot, um, then we will put everything in the description below and uh yeah we'll we'll see what happens on november 3rd <laughs> well i really appreciate uh the time the interview and honestly uh, to all your british listeners you guys gotta be careful because in terms of western europe and, and the west in general you guys are like the second big front that putin's really trying to push his advantage and he wants to see yeah i'm not saying whether or not scotch uh, referendum should happen or there should be scottish independence or not i'm just saying that w- Putin wants the breakup of the UK for specific reasons. He wanted Brexit for specific reasons. And you guys are having a lot of the same kind of, it's not as bad, but you guys are, are divided in many of the same ways we are along some of the same ideological and ethnic and, and political lines. And so, you know, I'd like to see you guys handle this better than we have. So far, I don't think I can say that, but I'm rooting for you guys to do better than we have. I am. Well, here's hoping. Uh, so, yeah, thanks very much, man. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already and enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget, my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. Until next time, thanks for listening.